What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. My name is Michael Falk, and I am joined today by Jack Hackett. And if you aren't familiar with Jack, he's been a multi-time podcast guest. He's a high-level running coach that helps people of all uh, skill sets, from uh, people trying to qualify for the Olympics to you know people trying to complete or run their first race, um, accomplish those goals. And then it is also very exciting if you're local to the Milwaukee area that Jack has now launched a running events company. Um, and today Jack's going to talk about 5Ks because he has an upcoming race um, for an indoor 5K, which again in Wisconsin, um, the weather right now is horrible. Um, so having an opportunity to compete in the winter is in the area is going to be super unique and awesome. So welcome, Jack. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me back again. Excited to talk through the 5Ks and why in some cases they can be more challenging and more fun than a marathon or any other race. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. So let's just start off there. Like why, you know, why a 5K? Like why why is that a good race distance for for runners of many different skill sets? Well, there's two parts to it. The it's a good beginner distance for a lot of people. It's commonly run. You can find a 5k just about every single weekend somewhere close to you. Uh, maybe in Wisconsin during the winter, it's a little bit harder, but you can usually find plenty of opportunities to run a 5k. Uh, the other piece to it is that it's this good mix where it's still mostly endurance, but it incorporates a whole bunch of speed work. So especially if you are a marathoner, doing a block focusing on a 5k can really help your marathon in the long run. Uh, just by getting faster and more efficient, you'll carry that skill over into you know, the other events that you're kind of chasing. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's awesome. It's a, it's, I think because it's so common and you can find one. Sometimes people like write them off. Like if you're a if you're a more serious runner, like you run longer distances, that you're just not gonna you're not gonna sign up for that weekend five k. Um, but I think that'll be really good. So tell us a, just briefly a little bit more about the event that you've got going on here in February and and what's going to make that unique. Yeah, so we're uh, partnering up with a few different brands to help bring basically everything that helps professional runners run as fast as they do. Uh, we're going to bring all of those tools to you, to whoever's kind of trying to run a 5K. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, 14 minutes or 34 minutes. Like, we're going to bring those tools to, to kind of bear for everyone. Yeah, I think it's going to be super exciting. It's going to be at the Pettit, so it'll be indoor temperature control. Um and yeah, I can tell you the forecast is going to be 50, no wind. It'll be perfect. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't, you don't have to sit and carefully monitor the weather app for, uh, for how's it going to, how's it going to go? Um, no, I think that's awesome. It's going to be, uh, super exciting. We're, we're really excited to be a part of it and um, it's going to be a nice addition to the Milwaukee running calendar. So, um, we'll go into more details about that here at the end, but let's just start talking about people that are either going to sign up for this race or, or going to run a 5k somewhere warm over the winter, something like that. Um, let's go through five keys to run your fastest 5k. Um, so as a running kind of put a, take off your, your race, uh, organizer hat. And as a running coach, you've got, you know, me that wants to run my fastest 5k. What are the five, five keys for me to, to set that PR in my 5k pace? Yeah, it's a, a great question. And obviously there's so much more to it, but we'll try and distill it to some pretty easy kind of pieces. I think the 
first part is setting a clear goal. So figuring out what you want to get from that experience or from that race. Uh, that goal doesn't have to be a time-based goal, but obviously that in running tends to be the measure for a lot of people. If you, you know, have never run a 5K, then setting that finishing is a good goal. Well, if you're trying to run a fast 5K, you have to figure out where your limitations are. So setting that goal kind of helps figure out and direct what that training is going to look like. If the issue for you is intensity, like you're not used to running very fast, uh, well, then you need to work on the speed side more. Or if 5K is a challenging distance for you, you need to build your endurance up more. And that's kind of the two sides of the spectrum. Most people are going to be on somewhere in, in between that spectrum. And you can kind of figure out and tweak your training based on that. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's really good advice, just having like a clear, clear purpose. I mean, just with with anything that we work with people on, like, I, I think it's very hard to make improvements on multiple things at one time. Like we'll have, take a golfer. That's the off season. It's like, well, I want to, I want to increase my club head speed and get faster, but I also want to lose weight. And it's like, well, those, those, those two goals might not go together. Like, um, and we might need to pick one and focus on just like, let me improve this one. Um, and, and then once we do that, we can focus on the other one later. And I find too, a lot of times they'll have carry on effects. Like you focus on the one thing and it lifts that kind of piece of the triangle, but the rest of the area also gets lifted. It's kind of around that. So, you know, like we talked about, like with that 5k, your 10k is going to improve if you get better at the 5k or you're going to be faster in a mile because that 5k is going to improve. Like those kind of things are interdependent on each other, but yes, having a focused viewpoint helps <laughs> develop those yeah. skills a lot. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, just out of curiosity with the goal, like if you had a runner that came in and gave you a specific, you know, I want to run this time or or whatnot, does that then affect how you like help them set up a race strategy? Do you have a, you know, is it just try to run three, three equal or, you know, even splits all the way through the race? Or do you usually suggest people try to start a little slower so that you can finish faster? Or what do you, what do you suggest from like a race strategy um, for someone that is, you know, has finished before, wants to wants to beat a time or has a specific number that they want to run in mind? Yeah, it, it's a great question. The pacing strategies, and I actually wrote a whole blog on this. We can put it in the show notes about yeah. how to pace for a 5K. But essentially, you want to be roughly even with a slightly faster finish. Uh, typically, in the world record attempts, there's a slight dip near the end and then a really fast kind of finish. Uh, so that tends to be the best route. And part of why those elites can have a really fast finish is that they're really fit. So that might not make sense, but the even split piece is definitely, I think, something to strive for. And as part of at that race that we're going to be doing, we're going to have rabbits to help people run even splits because it is such an important part of running a fast kind of time. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, I guess that it just kind of comes back to the importance of having, you know, again, assuming that you finished a 5K before and your goal is not not just to finish, which if it is, that's that's awesome too. But if you have a number... Or if you don't have a number in mind, then you can't you can't come up with what is that even split that you want to run. So kind of back to that that all important thing of like make sure you start off with with something that you want to accomplish in that race and then work backwards from there. Yeah. And and if it's not a time for a lot of people, what I'll do is I'll start with something called an RPE or a rating of perceived exertion. Like a 5K is roughly, you know, depending on your fitness, is roughly like a seven or an eight out of 10. Uh, something that you can hold for, you know, that 15 to 
30 minutes, depending on the person, but you can kind of guess at that pace. And then that's part of what training is for is to reinforce your hypothesis and test that out and see, oh, that feels way too fast. I can't do that. Uh, or, oh, wait, I'm actually more fit than I thought. I need to either do more reps or increase my goal and get get faster even. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It, um, I think the RPE is an underutilized tool in, in most most types of training on uh, on how to gauge gauge effort levels that, you know, it's totally free and you just have to ask yourself how hard stuff is. And, and people don't always, aren't always conscious about that as they go through that process. Well, it's funny too, there's so many studies that, you know, follow heart rate as a guide or these types of other metrics that we, they feel more scientific than just how do I feel? But that RPE tends to be the best predictor of, you know, performance of where you're physiologically even at. Uh, better than a lot of these, you know, fancy measuring devices that we have. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's great. Okay, so first key was setting that goal, kind of using that to both work on that race strategy and then also set up your your training focus throughout the uh, getting ready for that event. Um, what's the second key that you have uh, for running your fastest 5K? So, yeah, I talked about varying your training intensity. So, uh, you know, if your goal is just to finish and maybe you're just going out for easy runs and you're just trying to build up. But even for that person, I still think having some variability in your training is going to make life a lot better for you. Uh, you know, think of like the HIT movement, the high intensity interval training. By doing these kind of intense bouts with some rest, you're giving yourself a chance to, you know, work harder and actually you get more benefit out of that than just running easy every single day. Or the common mistake for most people is they run hard every day and overtrain. Uh, yeah. By having that hard and easy days alternating and then even on a more micro scale inside that workout, having speed days and then having tempo days and kind of having these different types of workouts, it's going to help develop those different skills. You know, we talked about the like golfer trying to work on different aspects of their swing as a runner, we've got the kind of speed and endurance spectrum, and we need to work on different chunks of that whole spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I really relate to that with, with people. We see a lot of the times with injuries, people coming into our office, it's, um, from running are like sometimes the people that are just following a generic plan and have this race distance. And let's just like every day they're trying to run farther or every week they're trying to accumulate more miles just like linearly without having um like any ebbs or flows um and you know what we see is like sometimes those like low recovery days start to turn into like more medium days that that are more taxing on your system and eventually just gets to the spot that the body breaks down and then you end up not training you end up seeing us and, and rehabbing yeah i think that's a really good point too is having that balance of easy and hard and letting your body recover and having those you know intense days be intense but then you need like a requisite kind of let off and i think that is a fault of a lot of those generic training plans is that they don't stress that easy run enough or it might be on there as an easy run but then athletes take it on themselves like you know i should always be grinding and pushing harder and wearing yourself out. And that's, you know, part of that's the whole American culture, but that's more than we can <laughs> discuss here. But that mentality seeps in and, and it's important to step back and rest and recover uh, and to have that variability in your training. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so, you know, with a 5k prep and varying that intensity, um, again, let's, let's just take, you know, kind of the average person that completed 5k, but wants to, you know, set a new personal record. Maybe it's not trying to set a world record or anything like that, but what, you know, what might a training week sort of look like in terms of how how many days a week should they be running and and what maybe is that mix of how many how many days would they be doing speed stuff versus a little bit more endurance stuff or what what could that week look like yeah it's it's a great question and and there's a huge variability from person to person so if you ever have questions you know listener uh feel free to reach out i'm happy to to chat about this but you know an average training plan that you'll see probably has one day that's you know, more of a speed focused day. So let's just say they're running 400 meter intervals. So, you know, one fourth of a mile, uh, you're going to do that with 60 seconds rest, whatever, you know, that's that speed day where you're running quite a bit faster than 5k pace and you're having a little bit of extra recovery. And then you kind of superimpose that with an easy day the next day, short, easy type of run. A lot of times I'll do that easy day paired with a lifting day. So they'll lift and then go for an easy run. Uh, there's a whole bunch of kind of reasons for that uh, to help avoid you know, bulking up. And it's just a way to help moderate that, that training load. Uh, and then you might have what's called like a tempo run or, or like a more endurance focused workout where you'd run for 20 or 30 minutes of continuous hard running uh, but it's going to be a little bit slower than 5K pace. It's closer to uh, like your threshold, which ends up being around 15K race pace for most people. Uh, and then you have another easy day. And then at some point in the week, you'd have a long run where you're really kind of working on the pure base endurance. Uh, and that I like to put a workout in there. A lot of beginner training plans won't have a, a workout in there, uh, but having that workout actually twofold it is a chance to get a training stimulus but it's also a way to break up the run uh you know if you have to do two hours of running having some like on and off again even if it's not that challenging just makes it go by a lot faster uh and then you know depending on the mileage demands of the person you might fill in more of those days with easy runs uh after all you want roughly an 80 20 distribution of like easy is the 80% and then 20 is that intense. Uh, I think that's another mistake of a lot of beginner training plans where a lot of people make that mistake is they end up running so many runs hard and it's 80, 20 the wrong way. They're running 80% of their runs too hard. Yeah, no, I, <clears throat> I agree a hundred percent. And um, I mean, there's been this wave of research and then and everything on like the importance of zone zone two training and and things like that from a heart rate standpoint and um those easy runs those recovery days are a great way to to do that that could be a whole whole separate separate podcast episode on on the benefits of some of the low intensity stuff from just a general health and wellness perspective as well um but i think that's that's really interesting i i anecdotally would have uh 100% been in the camp of doing too much on the hard end thinking like, Oh, it's a 5k that I'm trying to run fast. Like I really need to, you know, push myself, um, that way. And I probably would have, would have over overdone it, which is why we need people like you in the world. Yeah. I, I, there's a whole craze in the endurance world right now called the Norwegian model because it's a bunch of uh, Norwegian athletes and coaches that have been propagating it, but it's a lot of 
you know, for these athletes, medium hard efforts. Instead, they're never really doing these crazy hard efforts except for races, but they're doing more of this kind of medium hard as opposed to these really hard workouts. Uh, and they do a lot of active recovery. Uh, so there's a lot of easy running in there, but there's a lot. So it's just a lot of volume, but they're never going super hard. Interesting. Uh, the kind of old paradigm like that I grew up training in too was like hard days were hard. Like you were racing a lot of those workouts. Uh, but it turns out that that's just not a great recipe for really kind of growing. Uh, you, know, you sharpen it to a point, but then it becomes brittle. Uh, yeah. we want to keep kind of more robust and you can kind of keep building and building if you do those more medium hard efforts. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's a uh, very good advice. Um, okay. So then that was, we got set goals. We've got very training your, or vary your training intensity. Um, what was the, what's the third key if you want to run your fastest 5k? Yeah, I think, and this is probably the most underrated piece that athletes forget, uh, is incorporating strength training. I'm a huge proponent in how strength can help you as a runner. Uh, and it's twofold. There's the ability to take load on like your muscle, you know, it's, it has to handle being able to run fast. Uh, so you need to be strong enough to kind of tolerate those loads. So that's kind of one piece of it. And it allows you to train more, which is a way to kind of get faster. But it's also just the simple physics equation of if you want to run fast, you have to push the ground harder. And the easiest way to do that is to get stronger. And then you turn that strength into power. Yeah. Uh, so a huge fan of, of strength training. Okay. No, that's great advice. Um, I, I mean, I would uh, second that. It's like one of the first things, if we see a runner that's injured, if they aren't regularly strength training, that is the first thing that we add in. And uh, kind of our guidance is like, if you've never done it before, then we start very simple and slow because it's, you're, you're going to make way more progress than someone that's lifted a bunch. But um, in an ideal world, like how many, how many days are our runner strength training um, in a week kind of as they're training for, for a race? Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of research around this, which is makes it easier as a as a coach, like to just read the research and, and prescribe that. But roughly two to three days, uh, in my experience, two days is enough for most people. I'll do two days of like true, you know, true progressive overload, like heavier lifting, and sometimes, especially in the off season, I'll do a third day that's a little bit more mobility focused, like working on end range of motion strength or doing some kind of weird lifts that aren't your traditional. Uh, but having those two, you know, true blocks of, of strength training, uh, I'm also a fan of doing something. And I know we, we've talked about this a lot, uh, just from my own experience as, as a kinetic patient is the like reactivation or like a warm up. Uh, sometimes I'll call it like a daily strength routine too, yeah. where it's a, you know, high frequency of dose, but low, you know, actual kind of well, overload. You're not challenging your body that much, but that little accumulation can help, I guess, basically buttress you and make you a lot more robust of an athlete. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I mean, I think there's a couple of ways that from my experience and, and opinion that it can make a big difference too. Is one of the things is we talk a lot about efficiency of movement. And I really think with athletes in general, you know, what we're, we can never prevent all injuries, but the, the number one way that we can really impact both performance combined with injury reduction is by improving movement efficiency. And I think strength training is the, 
like one of the lowest hanging fruits to do that because it can help with coordination. It can help with muscle strength. And if we build a bigger engine, you know, and I'll just throw out some numbers, but let's just anecdotally say that your, your quad muscle can generate one times your body weight in force. And so say every single running stride, you're using 80% of that, um, you know, that, that muscle strength that you have, right. And so you're functioning at 80% every single stride. Well, if we can just take that quad strength number up to 110% of your body weight, the demands of running don't change. It's still at, you know, you're still using that same force, but now rather than being 80%, it's like 70%. So every single step got easier. And now you start saying at the end of a long race, or as you're like trying to hit that late kick, you were working 10% less every single step through that entire 5k race. It's going to be way easier at the end from both a performance and then, you know, not to mention training, you stack that up training day after training day over the course of that whole cycle, you're going to recover much easier because you're working at a lower percentage. There's just so many benefits that way to, to help by improving like the strength measurements and, and power production and efficiency of running. Yeah. I'm a huge fan and believer of that. Uh, like you said, that this kind of simple math in, in some ways, uh, other piece that I think is really important to, to hit on for especially efficiency for runners is that portional rigidity, like that core stability. You know, the analogy I like to use is like a, a road bike. You know, if you have that really flimsy road bike, you're losing a lot of power just because it's, you know, sloppy. But if it's a firm, stiff road bike, you're able to push and every ounce that you push a force into that bike is going out yeah. and it's way faster. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what we're trying to do for, for people. You know, there's that runner that twists a ton. It's just, you're throwing you know, force away and, and not in an efficient way. So if we can get it to where you're nice and strong and pushing forward, yep. you're going to be a lot faster. Yeah, uh, I think that's one area that strength training really helps improve. I have a lot of athletes that come in saying, Oh, I want to work on my kick, especially high school kids that want to you know be better in the 5k. They want to work on their kick. And they're almost always the people that say, Oh, I have no kick. And it's because they're you know, two weeks over <laughs> and hunched over. Yeah. And they start to like clam up and they try too hard, which, you know, it's, it sounds funny, but if we can get you strong enough where you're standing up nice and tall and keeping yourself in a better position, you can run a lot, a lot faster. And that's really where that kick comes from. I mean, there's a yeah. whole other creatine phosphate system and all that. But. <laughs> yeah. More podcasts to come at a later date. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I, I agree. And then I also just think, I mean, we've hit on a couple of times, but from an injury standpoint, like strength training is one of the things that has been shown to help reduce, um, overuse injuries, acute injuries, those types of things. So you're going to incorporate speed training and stuff into your workouts that brings in the risk of more hamstring strains, strength training helps with that. And so it's not quite as much of an acute, um, performance booster, but if as a long-term like chronic performance booster strength training helping you stay healthy and able to train and run for a longer duration will then improve your downstream performance just from not having to take time away from your training routine and running because of a, a setback um, and that's really true muscle strains tendon issues um, bone stress injuries i could continue to go down the list, but those are the three main running injuries that we see. And all of those, um, have been shown to be reduced by just even participating in a regular strength training routine. doesn't have to be crazy one to two days a week. Um, and 
you know, you can help yourself stay healthy for the long run. Yeah, the best way to get better is to keep training. And the best yeah. way to keep training is to stay healthy. So if you can strength train, it's going to, you know, in running in, in life, there's no easy, quick shortcuts. There's no hacks, but staying healthy, strength training, one of the easiest ways to do it. Yeah. So 100%. Okay. So we've got set goals, vary your training intensities, incorporate strength training into your routine. Um, what's a fourth key to running your fastest 5K? So I, we kind of almost hit on this a little bit in the beginning, but focusing on speed workouts. So yes. like those specific speed workouts should, I use a term called the cone of specificity. So as you're getting closer to the event, your workouts should start to look more like your event. Uh, so at the start of the training plan, you might do a bunch of 30 second sprints with plenty of recovery, but that doesn't look that much like a 5k, which is, you know, whatever it is, 20 minutes of focused, hard effort. Uh, so as training progresses, it starts as 30 seconds and then it's maybe minute long intervals. And then the next week it's two minutes and so on and so forth until you're doing, you know, four by five minute segments uh, with, you know, less and less rest, but that pace is getting slower, but the rep is getting longer. Uh, yeah, it's an overly simplistic kind of view of how that training could look, but uh, I think having that as the paradigm to use will make a lot of sense and it'll make you a better runner. If you do that, you'll be a lot better prepared for the event. That's perfect. How, like for it to be considered a speed workout, like how much, is it anything that's, that's faster than your race pace is like considered a speed workout or is there like a, uh, percentage less than your race pace that you want to see for it to like count as like a speed workout. I don't know if that question makes sense. No, it does. And and this is one of the most confusing parts of like endurance, just literature in general is that there's a whole bunch of these terms that everyone uses interchangeably with different definitions. So uh, if you ask another coach, you know, their definition of a speed workout might kind of vary. Yeah. Uh, and then some people will say there's, you know, speed there's critical velocity there's the vo2 max and so it can be a little bit confusing but in general i'm talking about things that are like that 5k or faster type work uh then we'll call threshold kind of that 5k and above like 10k to 15k pace is that roughly that threshold kind of work uh it's confusing in a lot of ways because you'll intermix those in different workouts like uh, one of my favorite types of workouts is to make a fart lick where you're kind of going above and below that threshold and and playing into speed then as well. So you'll kind of do, let's just say three, two, one. So three minutes at basically that threshold pace, two minutes of recovery where you're going above threshold and then one minute of that speed work. So you're going at that 5K pace, but just for one minute, but you start right back into that three minutes at that threshold pace or that kind of medium hard effort, you know, that six out of 10. So you're having to recover, even though you're still running kind of fast. Uh, I think that's a great mental training as well as physiologically. It's a fantastic workout. Yeah. Hopefully it makes sense. It's, yeah, it's, no, that, that definitely does. Definitely does make sense. Um, and, and then overall you're saying that kind of, uh, was, it, was it about that 20% of your training should be that like speed type workout overall? Yeah. And when we talk about that 80-20 distribution, it isn't 
saying it like as far as days of the week, uh, like you'll count that warm up and the easy running cooldown as part of that 80%. So when you hear 80 20, you might think, well, wait, like you mean every two weeks I'm only doing two workouts? Uh, but we're talking if you include the kind of easy jogging, the warm up, the cool down, and, and into that 80%. Yeah. So more like more like 20% of your overall training time, like yes. in terms of is spent running about that. that. That makes sense. I think that's a good. I think that's a good clarification that it's, uh, uh, you know, and it doesn't just have to be its own separate day. It could just be incorporated into some of those other runs. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a relatively common misconception that, that people have, and I should have addressed it kind of right away. But yeah, as far as that training volume goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, I think, again, not enough people ever, again, I just generically... We just see most people that are training for a race that just like run the same speed the whole time and try to run longer distances um, over time, basically. So I, I really think it's a pretty low hanging fruit. If you've never, you've never incorporated that um, into a routine, like really trying to push your pace, you're going to see really fast results. Typically, it's like the person that's never strength strength trained before. Just you're going to make way more progress than someone that has been doing this for a longer period of time because it's like this untapped stimulus to your body and it's going to um, really, really help you if you've never tried that before. Well, it's funny, even like I, I work with a few people that are training for hundred milers and things like that. Even for them, I'll have them do some speed work because like you know, in that race, you're going to incorporate or like you're going to find a hill or there's going to be a point where things get a little bit challenging. And kind of like we talked about with that muscle strength, like if you have that speed reserve, essentially, it's going to take a lot less out of you if you're strong enough to handle it. And it's only a two out of 10 effort instead of a five out of 10, you know, that starts to kind of scare your body a little bit. Same yes. idea kind of applies to everything. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, all right. So that's four, four keys. We've got set goals, very training intensity, incorporate strength training, and then make sure you're including some speed workouts and do about an overall 20% of your training volume. Uh, what's the final key to running your fastest 5k? Yeah, and we kind of hinted at this again too, but prioritizing rest and recovery. For every hard stimulus you put, you need to kind of have an equal, you know, recovery piece to that as well. Uh, and that recovery is easy to think of it as sleeping, uh, eating well, and those are very important, but active recovery is kind of a piece of that too. If all of your training is hard all the time, like we've already talked about, you're going to overwork yourself. So you need that active recovery as well. And that might look like cross training for some people that just can't handle the same kind of training volume. Uh, you know, there's a NCAA record that was just set uh, for the females and she spends about 80% of her training volume and time in the gym, on a bike, on an art trainer, working incredibly hard, uh, but not pounding at her legs. It's yeah. just a very different kind of novel approach showing there's so many different ways to train, but you have to have that rest and recovery. Yeah. hundred percent. So for you, for like a, I mean, okay. So rest is one thing like, you know, sleep, nutrition, hydration, all that stuff plays into this as well. But let's say for like that active recovery type workout, what, how do you like people to gauge their intensity so that that like recovery workout remains a recovery workout and doesn't creep into a 
kind of medium or harder workout? So yeah, there's something physiologically called our first ventilatory threshold. And it's essentially where our body starts to pick up our, our breathing. Uh, and it's to oversimplify it, it's where the switch flips and we start to get a little bit uh, catabolic. We start to break down stuff in our body. Uh, if you can keep that you know, easy recovery running to below that first ventilatory threshold, it our bodies basically don't freak out and don't realize that we're training as hard. And you can get uh, like a, a refresh. Our body starts to course with human growth hormone, with testosterone, with all these kind of good things for us. And we marinate in that and get a little bit better, basically. And our body starts to heal itself because it moved a whole bunch of blood and stuff around. Okay. Uh, it's hard to keep this as simple <laughs> as it is because obviously there's a huge complexity to it. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand all of it, but the idea is that you can run easy enough that it allows your body to recover while still having some kind of good positive training benefits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I've written a whole blog about that first ventilatory threshold. We can put that in the show notes. Yep. too. Yeah. Like perfect. That. We can uh, include that for sure. Do you have a, um, do you usually for, for someone that's training, do you prescribe like a heart rate zone or a RPE level or something like that for them to try to like make sure you're under this and not training run or um, do you just kind of leave it up to to them to try to gauge a little bit? So there's a few kind of equivalents that you can use uh, and it depends on the tools that you have available. Obviously, if you have a, a chest strap or a heart rate monitor, like great, you can use that. Uh, the RPE again kind of tends to be the best tool that you've got. It, basically like a four out of 10 or so is typically where that first ventilatory threshold ends up. Yeah. Uh, so if you can keep it easy enough where you can talk and communicate, you've probably heard or somebody, you, know, you might've seen the talk test. Uh, you want to be able to talk while you're running in a complete sentence. And that's a good measure of how hard it is for you. Uh, yeah, hopefully that, that kind yeah. of makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes great sense. We use like, zone one or zone two heart rate zones quite a bit too which um is a you know it's getting easier i feel like it's not the most accurate measure but if you use an apple watch and you set a run on as your workout you just like swipe down in the face it actually will pull up your heart rate zones and you can you can set a set like a a limit that if you get above that zone two it starts to like kick in and, and tell you to either slow down or um sometimes i play a game with myself that's like before i just slow down i'll be like Hey, can I maintain this pace, but like relax more like try to do some more deep breathing, like be a little less tense. And, and sometimes you can maintain that pace and then actually, you know, lower your heart rate, um, and, and challenge yourself that way as well. Um, but I think just having some way, whether it be a specific pace, whether it be a, a heart rate zone, uh, the RPE scale of nothing else to like monitor that is really, really important. Otherwise you just end up wanting to do more <laughs> you just keep going and it's like oh yeah this feels easier than yesterday but that could actually still be too hard to get the benefits out of that recovery workout yeah and i think i should clarify too that there's like that recovery run or how i you know use the nomenclature there's that recovery run which is like truly purely recovery and then there's like the easy running which is what most of that running that you do 
is. And that's okay to be a little bit higher. I mean, you just don't want it to be on the easier side. Uh, but I'm a lot more okay with the bulk of your training, just those normal runs, having a little bit, you know, of that zone two into zone three occasionally. You still want it to be easier, but uh, that like true recovery run that I'll, I'll use a lot of times after the strength training is meant to be like as easy as, as you can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that makes some sense. To yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, I definitely think it's, uh, I definitely think it does. So those are the five keys from, from coach Jack on, uh, how to run your fastest 5k and we'll include the, um, link to his website and, and information. If you are someone that's training for a race, whether it be a 5k or, um, like I said, he's training several people that are trying to run Olympic qualifying marathon times to uh, people training for hundred milers and, and some of the just insane endurance events. So really, um, and we've had, we've had patients of ours that have worked with them to just run their first half marathon or run their first 10 K. I, Lauren and I worked with him for that. Um, so really no matter where you're at, he's uh, great from a coaching standpoint as well. Um, but let's kind of shift gears and talk a little bit more about, this upcoming event that you have in February at the, at the Pettit, where if people want to try to set a PR for that 5k, they can um, have a chance to do that in an indoor controlled environment. So um, tell people just a little bit more of the, the nitty gritty about that upcoming race. Yeah. So Saturday, February 17th, starting at 6 PM, we're going to run your fastest 5k. Uh, we're going to have rabbits to help you run that nice, even pace that we talked about. New Balance is going to show up with their newest shoe that they just announced, uh, which is a carbon plated, is a Piva foam, which is a fancy way of saying it's a super shoe. Like it will help you run faster. Uh, they're going to bring a whole bunch of those so people can try them out and, and race in them so they can run, you know, as fast as they can. Uh, we're going to have Morton there. Uh, Morton is a fuel company. Like they make endurance fuel. Uh, they work with most of the best athletes in the world, Elliot Kipchoge, Molly Seidel, they're going to bring their kind of, you know, elite fueling plan for 5Ks. Uh, they're going to bring everything so that you can kind of try that out and, and do that as well. Uh, you guys are going to be there. Kinetic is going to be there providing the recovery room so that we can recover like pros. Uh, we talked about how important that rest and recovery is. So we'll have those kind of tools. Plus, you guys are going to help lead an active warm up uh, to kind of show people that are interested in that what that could look like. Uh, so yeah, we're really just trying to bring everything that we can to help you run your fastest 5k. And I think a lot of people get intimidated when they hear fastest 5k, but I mean, genuinely we have the full spectrum uh, that's going to be on show here. This is an event tailored to the runner. doesn't matter if you are what you consider yourself as fast. It's such a relative term. Basically we want to help you push your limits, whatever those are. Yeah. And I mean, I think even if you, I mean, I can just see so many benefits and we've been talking to different people about it from, Hey, you, you've got an upcoming marathon and, um, you've never run a race before or an upcoming half marathon, like great event to just use it for one of your training runs, like see where your 5k time is at and just get that like race experience, um, without the, the stress and pressure of like that big day that you're kind of building up to, um, to, yeah, just I mean, it's, it's February. So, um, there's going to be a million five Ks across the course of the summer in Wisconsin. Like 
use it as a time to see like what can you do right now and then set a new goal for for later in the year too to to try to chase and and compete against yourself as you go and uh, i just think it's going to be we're really excited to be there um i think it's going to be a really cool environment in the pettit at night um i feel like most there's not very many 5k's that run late in the day like most of them are kind of early morning stuff so i think that'll be really fun and um be professional runners there pacing you like it's going to be going to be really cool and a unique opportunity for people yeah, I think I think it's going to be a blast. That's why we're putting it on. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited to kind of have people coming in. There's been a decent amount of signups already so far. We've got uh, a whole range of people trying to run from 1440, I think, is the fastest up to like 36 minutes or so. Uh, like it's really a race for everyone. Uh, we just yeah you know, love running so much and just want to help people kind of have some fun and pushing yourself to your limits is my idea of fun. Maybe it's not everyone's, but uh, yeah, excited to kind of have, have you guys and have a whole bunch of people out there. Yeah, no, that'll be great. Um, and we will include the sign up link in the show notes and it'll be on the blog. Um, so wherever you listen to this podcast, it should be in there. Uh, it'll also be on our website um, under the blog tab. We'll have a link to uh, Jack's uh, the sign up uh, page to sign up for that race. Um, otherwise you can also find Jack on Instagram at, um, at infinity run co and at infinity run co events. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll get the handles in, in everything as well. Um, but he'll have links in there to, to sign up. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing the time and the expertise and thanks for putting in the effort to, to add so many good events to the Milwaukee running community. I'm, uh, I'm very excited to be there and, and see how everything goes. So um, thanks for the time and thanks everyone for listening. And we'll see you guys hopefully at the fastest 5k or on the next episode. Take care. Hey, wait a minute. Are you a runner that's been dealing with any pain or injury? Do you want to get back to running pain-free? You should check out our free pain-free running checklist. This is a checklist that goes through exactly the testing that we do in our office to try to help runners get back to pain-free running. It will walk you step-by-step how to accomplish the test and give you guidelines of what we would expect for a normal, active, healthy runner. You can access this free resource at the link in this podcast or by going to our social media at kinetic underscore SMP and clicking the link in our bio. 